This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. So, Kenna, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, you DM me on Instagram, and you're like, hey, a lot of people have told me that I need to be on your podcast, and I love to hear it. When you shared a little bit of your story with me, I was just like, yes, we need to have you on. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you. I know you have a really successful business that you do. So tell us a little bit about that and then we can just jump in. I work on Instagram. It became this, I mean, that's oddly enough, that's like ties so much into like this whole like spiritual journey of mine, like how things took place. I started flipping furniture to raise money for fertility treatments, to have my oldest son. And then it just kind of steamrolled. And now like I've gone from like flipping furniture to flipping houses and I teach other women primarily how to do what I do. And I'm, I'm able to be a creator on Instagram and it's provided this life that I never knew was possible. So it's been really, really amazing. I'm originally from Idaho. Then I moved to Utah for my dad's job. My husband actually dated my sister in high school, <laughs> just like a few dates, right? Like people are like, you, that's so wrong. I'm like, no, it was just a couple of dates. It's fine. <laughs> It's small town, Utah, like that's normal. After my husband got home from his mission, my sister was waiting on her now husband and her now husband and my husband grew up together. So we kind of connected through that friend group. Obviously things were fine with my sister and my husband. It was not like that big of a deal. And then my husband and I met and been married for a few years, started the business, lived in Utah. And then we moved to Idaho about two years ago which I'll get a little bit into that because that kind of ties into like this whole spirituality religion thing. And now we live in Idaho. Um, It's a really small rural town. There's like 2000 people. There's less people in the town than there were in my graduating class in high school. Oh my. Wow. I I know. So it's crazy. We love it. I never, ever thought I would be back where I am. Cause it's like, kind of like where I have familial roots. You would have told me in high school and I would have been like, no, never going back there. And now we live there and I love it. We have two kids. Well, we have two biological children and our daughter that we adopted. It's been a year. So. Wow. Yes. I love it. So yeah, let's jump into your faith journey. Did you have a testimony growing up? Let's start from the beginning. So I grew up in a very active family. You know, I grew up in the church. I loved the church growing up. I will say I had the benefit that my parents have always been like the the communication lines have always been very open. They've always been very accepting. They've always been very loving. And like, I knew I could talk to my parents about anything. I was a little bit of a rebel in high school. I would say starting in like seventh grade, I was like rebellious, whatever. Um, I got to high school and I always like stayed. I was like on the path, right? You can't see my fingers if you're listening, but like quotation marks, I was always on the path. Then my senior year of high school. So I had this seminary teacher that was really great. Um, I hadn't had good experiences in the past with seminary teachers. And I had every reason to walk away from the church. Unfortunately, there was abuse um, on my mom's side of the family. My sisters and I also experienced that abuse from priesthood holders that were worthy, but not. It didn't come out for a long time because if you know anything about trauma like that, a lot of it is suppressed. And then I had an experience at church with my church teacher, but he was essentially grooming me. And at the time, 
I was, I shouldn't have known what that was. I shouldn't have recognized the signs. But like I said, those communication lines with my parents were always very open. And so I told my mom, I'm like, this is weird. This guy, you know, he, he rubs my shoulders and he like asks me weird questions. I remember him playing with my bra strap, like things like that, that it's like, that's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. What happened then was, you know, we, my parents, you know, they did the right things. They didn't go straight to the bishop because I think some people are like, the bishop will solve this problem. No, my parents, like they went to um, child protective services and I interviewed with a detective. And from that detective, that's when it kind of, he was like, you know, she's recalling things and being able to put pieces together that at her age and her experiences, she should not. And that tells me there's been other abuse in the past. And at the same time, there was kind of stuff coming out about my grandfather. And anyway, all this kind of like steamrolled into this thing. You know, my parents handled it very well. Unfortunately, the bishop didn't handle it. I look back and I I hate the way it was handled, but I will say that so much has changed within the church. I've come to like the realization he was just doing the best he can. He was just a man who didn't know how to handle the situation. I'll come full circle about this, but I'm such a huge advocate for the protection of children and women, especially in the church. Growing up, I, you know, I was always like, oh, I have such a strong testimony and I have every reason to leave the church. You know, I've had these terrible experiences, but I have such a strong testimony. It doesn't even matter. Flash forward to when I was a senior in high school and I had this really great seminary teacher. I really, really struggled with the priesthood from then forward, you know, like before things happened with my uh, primary teacher, I remember at my baptism, Everyone was like, oh, your baptism is so amazing. But I did not have that experience. I had, I was so scared. I didn't want to receive the Holy Ghost because I didn't want to have to shake everybody's hands after. And I didn't want all those men to touch me. And I look back and I'm like, okay, I see all these things and why they were so hard for me. And that's something I still have to work through. I think, I think a lot of times, like with stuff like this, people come back to the church and it's like, oh, they figured out all their problems. They don't have any questions anymore. They, you know, and I'm like, no, that's not at all how it is. I don't think, or that's not been my experience. Anyway, so that's something I'm continually working on again, high school, right? I have this seminary teacher. I'd finally like allowed this one male figure in my life besides my own father to influence me. There were a few other influences in my life. I will say I had a boyfriend in high school and his dad was awesome. Real, like, I really appreciated his influence and my own father and my brothers, you know, there were a lot of really, there were a lot of really good men in my life. So I I have this experience with this seminary teacher sort of going, sort of not. And I decided one night that I was just going to pray about the Book of Mormon because I'm like, okay, people have had these experiences with the church. They've prayed about it. They've figured out the truth. I need to know for myself. So I decided to pray. Had a really crazy spiritual experience that was kind of opposite of what people say. You know, usually they're like, I was lifted up by angels and God was there and it confirmed to me. And I had a really actually scary experience where I prayed to know if it was true. And I like, it was like what Joseph Smith talks about, like this, like darkness came upon me. I experienced that. And it was, I mean, it was terrifying. I have never been so scared in my life. And I was too scared to tell anybody. And I actually, I I went to school the next day and I was just like torn up. And I went and talked to my seminary teacher. I like sit outside the door and he was teaching. He could like see me and he, and he, he must've known. So he came out and he's like, tell me what's going on. I told him what happened. He's like, you know, he's like, that's actually not that uncommon. Like I've heard of people who've had experiences like that. So for me, that was like the sure foundation, which is funny because it was the opposite effect of what I wanted. Like it was the opposite answer, but it was answer enough for me that I was like, okay, if there's an adversary, if there's somebody or something out there that wants me so badly to not turn to this, there's gotta be something there. 
that cemented my testimony of the Book of Mormon because that was mainly what I was praying about. Like, help me to know this book is true, right? Because if this book is true, everything else falls into place. Like I said, had that, worked through all my experiences, met my husband, got married, lived happily ever after until about three years ago. About 2019, I kind of started struggling a little bit. And now I look back, well, even then I knew my son was close to the age that I was when I was abused. And then my youngest son had an experience. He was going into nursery. The leaders meant so well, right? He was crying. He was upset. And they're like, he's fine. He, just leave him here. He's safe with us. He'll be fine. And something flipped. Because in my mind, I'm like, church has never been a safe place for me. My experiences with people telling me I'm safe here and that I'm fine were not true. And that happened. And I immediately was like, no, I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend that I'm okay. Obviously, I still have feelings about this. And I kind of got into this like dark place of like, we can't trust anybody. The church can't be true because there's horrible things happening or these children are having these experiences. I had these experiences. How can I let my kids be a part of this? And so my husband was still active and he had even said like, even on his mission, he was never like, I was bringing people to Christ. That's all I've ever wanted to do. So we kind of were on the same page there because I was like, I never, I never stopped believing in Christ. I never stopped believing in God. And I, I still prayed a little bit, but after that, like really pivotal moment, I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. This doesn't feel safe to me. And I don't want to expose my children to this, which, you know, hindsight is like 2020, right? I texted my family. We have this group message. I'm really close with my siblings, right? I have six siblings. Um, and my parents, and we're all tight-knit. And it's it's actually like a very healthy relationship um, with all of them. And so I just texted them. I said, hey, I want you guys to know this is where I'm at. I am stepping away from the church. I've taken off my garments. I won't be going to church, and the kids will not be going to church. Because I know a lot of people, when they step away, they're like, the kids can still go. But I was like, no. Justin is my husband. I'm like, if you want to go, you can go, but you're not taking my kids. They're not allowed to go. At this same time, the world shut down. It was 2020. And then it was like at home church. And so I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can do this. And then I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do this. We can still pray, whatever. At that same time, we were licensed foster parents. We had had fertility issues with both of our boys. We both had been told through different diagnoses that we would have trouble getting pregnant. If we could get pregnant, that's when we did all the fertility stuff. Anyway, at this point, we had decided to become licensed foster parents. We'd done all the trainings and everything. We were just waiting and waiting and waiting to have a placement. And I had a dream that I look back on and it's like, it's one of my most cherished experiences of my life. I had a dream that I was holding this little girl. And so my husband's Hispanic. He doesn't look it. But in my dream, I was holding this Hispanic baby. And my my boys are both white, blonde. They look nothing like me or my husband. I was holding this like dark hair, dark skin baby. And like, I knew in my mind, she was a girl. And that was it. That was the dream I had. I had that dream in July. And I remember telling my sister, you know, I had this dream about this baby. I think something's going to happen. And we waited months and months and we got this call. Hey, there's this little boy who needs to be adopted. And we were like, great. So we were licensed foster to adopt, meaning like if there was a situation where there was a child that was ready to be adopted, we could be one of the first people that they would call because they knew we were willing to adopt. Whereas some families are just there to help transition or whatever. So we get this call about this little boy and go through the interview process and they don't pick us. And the whole time I'm like, you know, when they initially called us, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that dream was, a, was, you know, nothing, you know, maybe I'm crazy. 
So all the while I have left the church, but I'm still having these spiritual experiences or, or God is still looking out for me. And I am still like, okay, God's on my side. I think, right. Looking back now, I'm like, duh. <laughs> so a couple months later, we get a phone call of this little girl that needs a home. She's placed with us. And this is our now daughter, Kaya. Now that whole thing with her was like a roller coaster. There was so much emotion and turmoil. And, you know, she had unfortunately been through a lot. Uh, she was placed with us when she was six weeks old, but even those six weeks of her life, she'd been through a lot. That was hard too, to like see all that and kind of be like, why is God allowing these horrible things to happen to his children? And, and I'm seeing it again and again. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in her life. And, you know, you hear these horrific stories. So that was kind of that. We moved to Idaho at this point. When we moved to Idaho, we, we drove halfway there on, or on a Wednesday. I told my husband, I'm not moving to Idaho. I've already lived there. I'm not moving back. We went home. That next Sunday, I had told the realtor, if this house is still available, let us know. We'll come up Sunday. She's like, it's still available. You have to come see it. <laughs> By that night, we had an offer on the house. We had gone to see the house in Idaho. And like, I had told my husband, I'm like, okay, in my life, I've had a few spiritual experiences up until this point. And I was like, I knew I was supposed to marry you. I knew we were supposed to do foster care. I knew that Kaya was like going to be our child. And then when we stood on the balcony, we bought this house that's up high on the mountain and you can see the whole valley. And we stood up there and we were both like, crap, this is it. Like we have to live here. So we ended up moving there. I mean, we moved to Idaho and I was like, okay, we can go to church. We can like go to sacrament, you know? So we're kind of like one foot in, one foot out. So I, I forgot to mention this. I sent a text. When I sent that text to my family, my mom was like, well, can I come over? Let's go on a walk. Let's talk about it. And I, I count myself very, very lucky to have had that because I know a lot of people that is not their experience. You know, their mom's not like, great, let's have a conversation about it. Right. So we talked about it. We talked a lot about um, the garment. And for me, cause I know that's, that's a big deal. And I told her, I was like, I, I don't want any more control. I don't want any man having control over what I'm wearing, what I'm doing. Cause it all came down to that autonomy. If you know the temple and you've looked back and like you've done the study and you know that that's not what it is. That's not what the garment's about. At that time, I was like, get this off of me. I need to figure out who I am and what I am myself. Anyway, so we're back in Idaho and we kind of were like going to church occasionally. That was, that was okay. Time at this point. Cause like it all started in 2019. So like, what was the timeline like at this yeah, point? Yeah. So this is about May of 2022. We moved into our home in October of 21. By 2022, I had been drinking a lot and it got to the point that it wasn't just like a drink here or there. I was drinking to the point that I was like getting belligerent, blacking out. And I kind of like had this realization like, okay, even if I've left the church, I didn't leave the church so I could drink, but here I am drinking and it's not healthy. I've got a lot of addicts in my family. Um, I've got a lot of alcoholism in my family. And I started to recognize that I was like craving that, that alcohol basically. And I scared the heck out of me. And so I was like, okay, this is not healthy. I've got to stop this. And it was at that same time that my son, who was seven, came to my husband and I and said, I want to be baptized. 
I was listening to one of your interviews. I can't remember who it was, but his daughter, I can't remember his name. Land. Yes. And he was saying he baptized his daughter and his stepdaughter, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so admirable because he was like, yeah, if you want to get baptized, great. Whereas I was like, heck no, heck no. But it was mostly because I was like, I want to be on the same page and I want to understand what you are understanding. And I look back at that and I'm like, the little children, right? The little children know things. Gosh, like 2015 or 2016, I was called as the primary president in our ward in Utah. And it was huge. Like we had like four nurseries. It's so silly, but it was one of those other very spiritual moments of my life where I was in the temple. I was praying because I was like, I don't know who to call. I was like 22 or something like that. I am not equipped for this at all. I had been praying and this name came to me of who I should call as my first counselor. And I had never met this woman and I texted her. Her name, she's my good friend now. Her name's Kendall Na. And I texted her and I said, hey, I know you don't know me. I don't know you. I'm supposed to call you as my first counselor. I hope you'll accept basically saying that, right? We come back. My son tells us he wants to be baptized. And my husband's like, okay, look, if he wants to be baptized. So we, I mean, I was like hungover having this conversation, right? I, I had like had another one of those experiences. And I was like, I got to get my crap together. What I'm doing is not safe. What I'm doing is not healthy. I have got to make the decision to make a change. So my husband's like, we've got a year to figure this out. Do we want to be a part of this church? Do we want to figure our crap out? Do we want to know if this is where we belong? And that was more me. My husband was like, I want to be the one to baptize him. And so we kind of got to the point that we both grew up in very, very spiritually strong families. Like our parents are both so great and they were so supportive and so unconditionally loving through all of this, which I look back and I'm like, how lucky are we that we had that unconditional love? Because I've seen others who have not had that experience and it breaks my heart for them. Three days later, we got a phone call from the state president. And he wanted to meet with both my husband and I. And we're both like, okay, it doesn't matter what it is. We're not accepting any callings. Like, we're not doing this, right? We just barely, I mean, I literally, we were like, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to pray to pray about it. And so we decided we needed to lay that foundation because we did, I did have my own testimony of the Book of Mormon. And that is one thing I will say through everything I went with, I was like, I actually can't deny that. I cannot deny the Book of Mormon. There are things I disagree with. There are things that I question. There are things that concern me, but I cannot deny this truth that I know. And I even told a lot of people, I told my mom, I'm like, you know, leaving the church would be a lot easier if I didn't believe it's, it's doctrine. <laughs> you know, if I didn't believe the book that it was based on, so that was an ironic challenge for me. We decided, okay, we're going to do this. You know, I prayed. I said, okay, God, this is on you. I am here. I am willing. I want to do this. My son wants to be baptized. Let me let him, right? I mean, if it came down to it, I was practicing my agency and I was sharing with other people, like, let me practice my agency. So who was I to tell my son? No. And a lot of it was like, if my son wants to get baptized, I want him to know what he's doing. I want him to understand the gospel. And how can I expect that of him if I obviously am not in a place where I can do that myself? So we get the call to meet with the state president. We're both like adamant. No, we're not. We're not taking any callings. We'll go in. We'll talk to him. I had just put my garments back on. I was just to a point where I was like, okay, if I'm going to commit, I'm going to return to the covenants that I have made. I'm, I'm not temple worthy, but I'm going to put my garments on. You know, I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to do the things that I am commanded to do in order to get that fulfillment that I say I want. 
coming back to my struggles with the priesthood and just with my trust and my faith in men, right? So we go and we meet with our stake president, stake president C. And it was one of the most pivotal conversations of my life. I actually can't remember or couldn't tell you verbatim what was said. I just know that in that conversation, there was these three men. And I finally was like, oh my gosh, like I actually feel seen. And I felt so validated in, you know, cause I told him, I was like, I've had some really bad experiences. I've had some really um, tough things that have shaken my faith, not just in the church, but in the leaders. And I was like, and that is hard. How do you handle all of that? I'll never forget the, the state president. He did. He just, he basically said the, the rest is just minutia. And he kind of did this, like all that stuff is just minutia. And I don't know why that has stuck with me. Just the way he like waved his hands, right? Like that doesn't matter. What matters is the foundation and is these principles, right? So they extended the calling to my husband to be the first counselor in the elders forum. And we were both like, no, <laughs> sorry. No, we're not interested. And it was at that point that like, we had been telling him like, look, we haven't been active. I was drunk three days ago. And I said to him, I was like, I, this is my first time wearing my garments. Like I, I'm not the person you want. I'm not the supportive wife he needs. He and I were pretty much on the same, same page at this point. And he, he's like, yeah, like we have just decided to like recommit ourselves and figure out what we believe and what we know and what we want to know. And they were like, great, figure it out while you do this calling. <laughs> oh, that just gave me the chills. <laughs> yeah. I think it was really empowering because studying the New Testament this year, learning about Paul, Peter, Mary, you know, these people that Christ, they were not, he was not talking to, I mean, you know, he, he met with Nicodemus, right? But that wasn't his primary audience. He was meeting with the woman at the well. He was meeting with the fishermen. He was meeting with the woman who was possessed by demons, right? He was meeting them where they were. And I, after I started studying that, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's that's exactly it. Christ doesn't care where we are. He will meet us there. That was so powerful to me to learn that because I was like, how beautiful that there's so many of us. We are all on our own individual journey. And if Christ didn't meet us where we were, we'd all just be wandering, right? Like, so it seems like a given, but once I like really connected with that and especially with Peter, you know, I, I love, I think everybody loves Peter. He was not like the most stand-up guy. Christ chose him and like, I, it's just so powerful to me. Anyway, we accept this calling and the sake presidency, they were just like, I think too, where we lived in this small town. I mean, it was just like, you drank last weekend. Cool. You coming to church? I'll see you on Sunday. Like I just, it was just so much more accepting and loving. And, and I think a lot of us, we weren't maybe open to that or like there are cultural differences or there are times and places. And I think everybody's in their place and at their time for a reason. And this was exactly what we needed. And then I get a call from the stake president two weeks later, maybe my husband had already, uh, declined the call and he calls me I answer because I'm always curious <laughs> and uh he's like hey so we have state conference coming up there's a general authority coming you know we have all these appointments set up we really need to meet with you guys 
come to find out like we weren't on the schedule. He had just like really felt strongly he needed to meet with us. That Saturday they come and they meet with us. And again, coming back to like me not being trusting, me kind of struggling with, I hate to say priesthood authority because it's not necessarily that it's, you know, it's I've, I've had to work through a lot of like my issues. Um, but it's this new man I'm welcoming into my home that I don't know. So we're talking and he's like, yeah, I, so it's Clark Gilbert. He's like, I'm actually, I'm from Boston. And I was like, oh, that is funny. One of my good friends, Kendall, her husband is from Boston. I was like, do you happen to know any, any of the Nas? And he lights up. Turns out James, my my friend's husband, he had essentially raised James and his brother. What? Yeah. So he had this relationship with their family. And like, he's such a good guy. So he's like president of the school system, BYU, whatever, like does all this stuff. It kind of confirmed to me. And especially like looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, that was one of those things. Like, I was like, I don't know who this girl is. Why am I calling her? And you know, flash forward, what, how many years? Six, six years. And I meet this guy and he's connected with my friend Kendall, who has become like, like a sister to me. And he's got this connection with her. And it was almost like Heavenly Father was like, okay, he's safe. You're safe. It was so powerful because I'm like, wow, like I'm being looked out for. So we meet with him. It was amazing. And it was another one of those conversations that I couldn't tell you exactly what was said. But he did share, share a talk with us. I wish I could remember what, what exactly it was. But it's basically this guy that has, has these questions about the church, you know, these doubts. And he writes them down and he makes a goal to figure them all out. And it takes him like 50 years, right? And he's like, if I would have waited to figure out these questions, if I would have said, I'll join the church once I've got these questions figured out, I would have been half my life gone. So we meet with with the state president and it was just, it was amazing. It was like seeing seeing God's hand in our lives. And we saw it again and again and again. And, and we had just adopted our daughter before we had wanted to get sealed to her. I said to him, <laughs> mind you, like, we're like two weeks sober. And I'm like, we adopted our daughter. And he's like, wow, I would love to seal you guys if that would be possible. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. We saw miracle after miracle, Christ showing up in our lives all these different times, meeting these people that said, yeah, we moved to this small town. I had this crazy spiritual experience that we were supposed to move here and we didn't know why. And I'm like, we're all, we're all having these like things happening. You know, I used to be very hesitant to share my testimony. Not, not that I was like afraid necessarily, but I do remember like seeing people leave the church and just being terrified. Like, what if that happens to me? What if I'm the next person who leaves? You know, I've had people ask me like, well, what do I do with like my sister? My sister wants to leave the church. My, my, my friend is inactive or they're anti or whatever. And I'm like, right. Remember that agency that we talk about and that we learn about? Let's embrace it. And let's let other people embrace it. Because the best thing I ever did was figure it out for myself. And in order to figure it out for myself, I had to step away. And I'm not saying that's the solution for everybody. It's not. Everybody's experience is going to be different. But for me to step away and then to come back in a way that was like, recommitted because it wasn't like I go to church because my family goes to church I'm gonna marry you know my husband because he's a good guy he went on a mission we're gonna get married at the temple or whatever like that's not to like brush off those things because when I did them I was very aware of what I was doing 
and I was making those choices consciously because I knew that I wanted to, but coming back and saying, okay, I was raised in this church. Did I ever question? Did I ever ask these questions? And so I started asking the questions and I started looking at the history and I started looking at women in the church and children in the church and what was going on. And the funny thing is I look at it now and I'm like, there, there's a lot of like negativity, like women are so um, discriminated. And I'm like, no, no, they're not. We're not. And that's, that's where you're wrong. We are so empowered. And that's such a cliche term, but it's the truth. One of the biggest things, you know, I've gotten questions with what I do. Some of my very, very best friends are from all over the country. They're also creators online. So we met through Instagram, right? Some of them are Muslim. Some of them are Christian. Some of them are Buddhist. Some of them are, well, Catholic, Christian, you know, they're all these different denominations or religions. Uh, quite a few of them are ex-Mormon. Some of them are anti-Mormon. It's been really, really beautiful to connect with these women who have different beliefs and different ideas. And we're able to communicate respectfully and learn and grow from one another you know we're so easy to to judge other people and what they're doing but everybody's just we're all just humans having our own human experience here I think the biggest thing is making the decision to have that experience choosing to take control because a lot of that for me was taken my my control was taken and so when I decided it's my turn, I'm taking control, I'm making these decisions, it quite literally changed my life and has brought me so much peace and joy. And, you know, with those friends of different religious, you know, practices or whatever, I'm able to say confidently, this is what I believe. And what do you believe? And let's talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, great. It's just, it's a really, really beautiful thing. And and I think I would not be that way or feel that way or that confident in my beliefs had I not started from the very bottom and thought, okay, I had that experience with the Book of Mormon. Was that real? I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to do these things. And just this last May had the best weekend of our lives. Elder Gilbert came from Utah to Idaho, and he was able to seal us to our daughter, which was amazing, right? We got to be sealed. And so both she, as well as my two other boys were able to come to that sealing. And then the next day, this is my favorite, is that the next day my son got baptized. Wow. Yeah. Think of that year, of that year where we turned our lives around turned our beliefs around. And it, I think a lot of people, people are happy in other religions. People can find peace elsewhere. And I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. There's truth everywhere. There's also fake everywhere. There's, And there are other religions where people find peace and joy. And I'm like, good, that's amazing. And I'm so happy for those people. This is where I find peace. And I, I got asked, I can't remember who asked me a couple of days ago, like, did you do you notice a difference now in your life as opposed to when you weren't active because I, I never had my name removed. I was like, yeah, actually, I feel this, this peace and this comfort. I actually didn't even know I was missing, which is so funny because I don't think God's going to be like, you're not going to my church. Okay, done. I'm done with you. Right. That's not the God we know and love. 
the God we know and love meets us where we are. Now that I'm where I am, I'm able to recognize that more. I don't think that love ever left me, but I'm able to like recognize it for what it is. And it's, like I said, it's changed my life. I love what you said about choosing. You choose this for your life because I feel like that was in, in my story. That was one of the most empowering things for me was like, I am choosing to not drink coffee anymore to go to the temple. I am choosing to stop smoking cigarettes so that I can go to the temple. I wake up in the morning and I choose to put my garments on, not because anyone's telling me to do it and like looking over my shoulder to see if I'm doing it, but because I'm choosing that for myself, because like you said, like I feel empowered by that. And I feel like when you're doing it because you are choosing that for your life, it's like it opens a door to just a whole other way of viewing the gospel. Yeah. And it is, it's all about, it comes back to agency, right? Like mm -hmm. how blessed are we? How lucky are we that we get to choose? And, and it's so funny because it's like, yeah, you get to choose. And we do these things so um, like automatically, but then when you really look and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm making these decisions. I am consciously choosing these things. When we look at it that way for what it actually is, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. So I have a couple questions for you. Some context here. We have done so many interviews where people have been abused as a child. And it's actually been something that has been quite eye-opening for me that I didn't realize was so prevalent. What advice would you give to somebody that experienced that as a kid and is trying to heal from that, heal spiritually and mentally? What advice would you have? Well, first of all, and I know as a survivor myself, the apologies are, they're nice, but I, I do, I do want them to know, you know, that doesn't change your worth. It doesn't change the love that I have for you, that your savior has for you. And it doesn't diminish who you are. It's hard because that agency again has been taken from you and you're going to have to work to feel like you've gotten that back. And that's okay. It's okay to you know, have to kind of face those things that have happened and accept them and look at yourself and your experiences the way that Christ and God look at you. And that is that you are their child and that you are loved and that you are cared for and that there are crappy people that also practice their agency. And just because those people practiced their agency and it was hurtful and it was wrong and it affected your life eternally, that does not mean that it has to ruin your experience. That does not mean that every human is bad. That does not mean that Christ loves you less. You know, you are just as worthy or more so you are loved, you are cared for, and, and those people will face their consequences. Don't let their actions rule your life. I love that so much. My next question is, 
being somebody that is an influencer and you are in this community of influencers, it seems to be not as cool anymore to be religious or to wear your garments. And that's not really the cool thing anymore. How was it going through that whole experience as an influencer with social media and all of that? Yeah. So I actually kept it really, really quiet because people are really brave to voice their opinion behind a screen. I mean, I am actually very transparent, but when it came to that, I wasn't about to like divulge. Um, The first time I actually really said anything was that when we decided to get sealed, not decided, but when we were getting sealed. So it was just May that I finally was like, hey, today's a really big day for us. You know, my, my daughter's being sealed to us. My son's getting baptized. And I kind of said like, I have not been active in my church. I have not been practicing these things. And I've kind of, you know, rediscovered my faith. And I actually, it opened up for a lot of conversation. I was able to have a conversation with actually a a close friend who was like, my sister's leaving the church. What do I do? And then another lady who was like, well, I hate to break it to you, but you're not Christian. These other people that were like, you know, some friends that are not of our faith, but our friends, one of my friends was like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you are happy here. So it's opened up all sorts of conversations. And I am not one, like, I like to have a good conversation. I'm okay. I'm open to having conversations. I'm not open to discrimination or hate speech or anything like that. Um, So even the woman who was like, you're not Christian. (laughs) I was kind of like, okay, like, tell me why. I would love to hear your perspective. And, And it wasn't like a, tell me why I'm not Christian. It was like, awesome. I would love to hear your perspective on what a Christian is. Tell me. And so that's been really cool. It is, it is very interesting. You brought up the garment thing and I I do agree. I think that's something that's very, very hard. I'm not sure if it's this generation or for me, like, like a control thing. Cause even when I didn't wear my garments, I mean, people maybe probably were like, "Eh, is she, is she not? I don't know. But I, I wasn't like, I didn't totally change the way that I dressed, but it is very interesting. And it's unfortunate how quick, how quick people can be to judge based off of things that they see online when they have no idea what's going on. If one of my friends, you know, I've had a lot of really great conversations with friends who have taken off their garments or who aren't as active. And I'm like, you know what? That is okay. You do what you need to do in order to figure things out. And if you don't figure things out for 10 years, or even in this life, I love you regardless. If you are not a member of the LDS church, or if you're used to be and you've left, as long as you're not harming anybody else, I am so happy for you. And I love you. I want to share my thoughts and feelings that I want to know about you. And and I've actually, I've taken that approach a lot with social media, just because everybody is so different. I've learned, you know, there are lots of different opinions and ideas. And I think we can either let those things harm us you know, we can take offense. We can be mad that Susie from Illinois doesn't agree with us, or we can learn Susie's story and we can, you know, find something that connects us. Susie has a cat. I have a cat, right? Like there can be something that connects us because what would Christ want us to do? Would he want us to only associate with Nicodemus? No. Christ would want us to go out and talk to Peter and care for Mary and love these people that are different than us, because that is what it's about. It's not, we're not here to 
perfect anybody else. We're here to become perfected in Christ and to learn of him and feel of his love. And one of the best ways that I have felt his love and continue to feel his love is by loving other people. I said to my sister just the other day, I was, we've kind of had a rough week. There have been some things in my family that have been hard. I told my sister, like, I just, I've got to go do something for somebody else because I'm so stuck in my own headspace. And I think it's important. I, I, I do want to share this really quick with you. Since I have gone back to church, I have messed up. I have made mistakes. I have slipped up in ways that I promised myself I never would. I have had questions and I think that's great, you know, because people are like, well, you came back to the church, but you have all these questions. You experienced abuse. And I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because I don't, if I walk away, if everybody that was ever offended by something about the church, if we all leave, then who's going to stand up? Who's going to stand up and say, hey, I disagree with this. Or, hey, can we discuss this principle? Because this is really hard for me to understand. Or in the past, this was hard for me. Let's talk about it. Right. If we all leave, if those of us who have had horrific experiences or even, even not horrific experiences, maybe you're somebody that has never felt that confirmation. Maybe that's you. If you leave, if you walk away, who's going to help the person next to you? Who's going to encourage that little girl like me, who was so desperate for somebody to just say, you're safe here. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Who's going to do that? And that's kind of the point I've gotten to that I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to church because of my own faith. Right. But because if there is a single little girl there or a little boy or person that needs to know that they are wanted and that they are loved and that somebody's there looking out for them, they know that I've got their back. Even if they're across the world, I've got their back. And I have that opportunity as with, with what I do, my patriarchal blessing the sentence that it says is, this is I, you'll, this is funny. It talks about the influence I will have on the world. How funny is that? Because I remember being like, what does this even mean? This is weird. What is it, the influence I'm going to have? And now I look back and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> that is interesting. Kind of my job title at this point. And, and because of all this, it's like got me to the point that I'm like, I'm not afraid. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the differences. And I love that so much. I think back to when I first started coming back to church and what if people would have been like, oh, she's was just using drugs, like, you know, and I just think how fortunate I was to have people just like love me for exactly where I was at and be like, yeah, yeah, like come to this activity with us or do this with us, even though like I smelled like cigarettes still. It just, I feel so fortunate. And so I love the message that you were just talking about. It doesn't matter where people are at, love them for where they're at. And that is the best thing that we can do for, you know, our brothers and sisters who have stepped away or are on their, maybe they haven't stepped away and they're just figuring things out and that's okay. And, you know, God works all things to the good of those who love him. Yep. I agree. And I love what, I love what you're doing with this podcast. I, I, I had never heard of it. And when I, when I shared in May, this is my story, you know, and I shared a little bit, I had so many messages. You need to talk to Ashley. You need to heard of this podcast. And I was like, started listening and I was like, holy crap. Like how cool is it that you've created this community? Because it, I think it was 
did you say his name was Brandon? Is that his name? Landon. 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 When he was saying, you know, when I left the church, I had this community of people that supported me. And now that I'm back in the church, I have this, these people who get it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's so true. It's so true. And I, and I love that. I think you've, what you've created is so needed and it's, it's amazing. It really, really is amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Kenna, it is so amazing to have you on the podcast. You are just such a light and I just appreciate you taking the time and spending this hour with me. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for listening to me talk on and on. (laughs) Of course. It was amazing. I can't wait to post this. Everyone's going to love it. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.